Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through this scripture today. Lord, that you would help us to discern what you're saying to us through your word today. That you would give us peace and conviction and strength. Lord, we really need to hear from you. Um, We need to hear from you. So that's why we open up the Bible. We're not opening up my experience or my knowledge or those things, although you will use those things, but we're looking into you and what you have said. That's the most important thing. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing amongst us. Thank you for um, this beautiful day. Lord, it's all for you that we can hear from you. Prepare our hearts for what you might say. Use me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is John 14. Um, I'll read verse 5 through 15. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, famous line, famous Jesus line here, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's where we're going to really launch off of this verse today. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Oh, then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. Okay, this is a very simple uh, scripture. It's not going to take much for, for you to see what's going on here or what the main point or what the main point is. What Jesus says here is in some ways one of the most basic messages of the entire Bible. This is Christianity. If you want to boil it down, um, if you want to know what Christianity is about and you want to boil it down to its a simple line, it's really found in verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. That is the story of the Bible. That is what Christianity is. What's the goal there? Can anybody tell, can anybody tell me what, the, what Jesus is saying? If you know me, you will know my Father as well. What is the goal of Christianity? From that verse. It's not a trick question. Nope. It's right there. Nope. Just read it. It's not knowing about Jesus and the Father being one, even though that is true. You are right. But look what he's saying here. He's saying, if you know me, you will know my Father as well. Um, Christianity is about knowing God. That simple. It was so simple it seemed like a trick question, didn't it? The scripture is about knowing God. And that, my friends, is the entire point of why you are here. That is the entire point of Christianity. It's that simple. Christianity is about knowing God. Make no mistake about it. The essence of Christianity is, and let me add a word, is personally knowing God. It's a personal knowledge It's about growing in a personal knowledge. It's about growing in a relationship with an actual person. That's what Christianity is about. And that, therefore, is the priority. That's what comes first. That is the the end by which we use the means. That's what it's all about. 
everything else in the Christian faith, everything else in the Christian faith comes second to that very simple concept of knowing God personally. Everything else serves that purpose and serves that end. Everything else is consequence. Everything else flows from knowing God. And that's what makes Christianity extremely different than any other religion. Christianity says your behaviors, your life, your conduct, all of your practices and traditions flows from knowing God personally rather than we do these traditions and you have a certain conduct and you behave a certain way in order to get to God. Christianity says it comes from that. And the Bible affirms this throughout. For example, there are some incredibly great and famous prayers throughout the Bible. Um, I would really encourage you to look at them. They're, they're incredible. And if you analyze the great prayers of the Bible, one thing that you'll be shocked to find is that generally these prayers are not praying for things like joy or power or blessings or success. None of the great prayers of the Bible are at all like the way that we pray ourselves normally. Almost always the great prayers of the Bible are for personal knowledge of God, to know him more. Let me give you a few examples. This is, there's, Paul's got some of the most famous ones. This is from his prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, here it is, so that, why am I praying for all these things? So that you may know him better. You may know him Here's Ephesians chapter three. He says, this is Paul, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Why? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to, I'm praying that you know something that's unknowable. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to have power. I want you to have wisdom. I want you to be blessed so that you can know God and keep growing in that knowledge. And that is also what the Bible would say, ironically, is the problem with mankind. If we flip this coin over If Christianity is about knowing God, the Bible would then say the problem with mankind is that we don't know God. And everything breaks apart from there. For all the problems the human race faces, whether it's war or racism or disease or selfishness, poverty, any of those things, all the things we are so obsessed with getting right. If you watch, if you tune into any news channel, we're obsessed with the problems of the world right now. Always are. We're so obsessed with our needs and our problems. We're obsessed with knowing ourselves. and all the, We have all these philosophical problems, but the Bible would sum it all up in a very basic way. The real problem with the world, the Bible would say, and everyone in it, everyone corporately and individually, is that we don't know God personally. Not know about God, but we don't know him personally or that we don't know him well enough personally. We don't know him well enough. We're all on some kind of a spectrum, aren't we? We all know God, some of us more, some of us less than others. Personal knowledge is everything, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. In the very basic text, which is why I picked it, the transfiguration, which is what we'll get into next week, is a very complicated text, and I needed another week on that one. This is a very simple idea. That's what Christianity is all about. According to Jesus, the the personal knowing of God will solve all your problems. Let me let that hang there for a second. It sounds like the, just take one of these and you'll be fine. Right. Oh, we will. The personal knowledge of God, well, in general, basically speaking, and we'll, we'll, we'll unpack this, 
But knowing God and keep knowing him to that degree, your problems will start to be solved. You, in other words, you will start to be healed. That is what worship is. The, the more that we truly worship God, that means center our lives around God, to that degree, our lives will begin to heal. Our relationships will begin to heal. We'll become more kind. We'll become more selfless to that degree that we keep pushing in to knowing God. That's the idea. We're obsessed with all the other things and to the, agree, to the degree that our lives focus on other things, other people, or are centered around other things, to that degree, our lives will start to fragment and fall apart, warp. Now, this is offensive. <laughs> this, is a, this is what makes, this is what makes Christian, this basic idea is also a very individualistic culture like ours, where relationships in, in, in a place like Seattle, friendships, relationships, deep ones, are difficult for us. This is a challenge for us. It's very challenging. Um, one of the, we, we moved from California, however long it was ago, 20, whatever it was ago, long time ago, and one of the things that people would say to us about Seattle is, oh, have you heard of the Seattle chill? The Seattle freeze. And we thought they were talking about the weather. But they were not. They were talking about nobody wanting to know us. Nobody wanting to be friendly. Versus California, it seems like they want to know you, they want to talk to you. It's very communal. Um, everyone says hello here. And, you know, on the east side, not so much. But when we, when we moved into Seattle in our neighborhood, it's just now, we're in there almost three years, just now the neighbors are saying hi to us now. It's because they don't trust us yet. It takes a while. Scared of relationships, scared of vulnerability. Absolutely, I mean, it's understandable. We don't do it well. And, that yet, and, yet, and so this is tough for us because Christianity is above all else about knowing someone personally so in this very simple concept there's also some profound problems in this passage we're going to learn that knowing God is everything we're going to learn the problem that comes along with knowing God there's a problem that comes with it especially for us but we're also going to see how amazing it is the glory of it first according to Jesus knowing God is central and I want to point this out. Look at this conversation between Philip and Jesus starting in verse 8. It's a profound conversation. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, right? And Jesus is somewhat offended at this. Jesus' response is he's a little cut. Um, he's a little slighted. Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's like, have I not been communicating good enough? Have I not gotten it across? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Jesus is telling Philip something both profound and extremely frightening at the same time. According to Jesus, it is possible to be standing next to him spend significant amount of time with him, have a superior knowledge of Jesus, and even be passionately devoted to Jesus and still miss the point. This should scare every Christian in this room. It's a scary thing. You can be filling your time with Christian activities. Certainly Philip was. He had given up his life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Even serving people in the name of God. These were all the things that Philip had been doing and witnessing with Jesus the last few years. And yet, Jesus is saying, you still don't get it, Philip. You're still not getting it. Philip was a man on the inside. He was in the inner circle of Jesus. In the inner circle of the ministry, he knew Christ. He was even devoted to Christ. He had given up things for Christ. He was busy doing all the things that Christ said. And Jesus is saying that it's possible to be busy in the Christian life, to have knowledge of him, and to have even a level of devotion and zeal and still miss the point and still not get it. 
When I first read this, as simple as it was, it took my head off. It, it, it was a scary thing. It's a scary statement. So Jesus is making a very, very, very clear distinction here between knowing about him and a personal knowing him as a person. A very important distinction. In fact, there's, we'll get into this. There's even two different Greek words that get very drilled into what it means. You can know about God you can know a lot about God without knowing him personally. This is the danger, I think, with Christian culture and that some of the ways that, uh, of how we do church. We saturate ourselves in Bible knowledge. We read a lot. Um, we are in an information age where information, you can, you can Google something about Jesus and all sorts of information comes up. Even Bible verses come up very quickly. And we can know that and know a lot about him and even feel moved about it to a certain extent. Think of it this way. If you sit down with a person, and this is again, Christianity is about a person. So if you sit down with a person for the first time and get to know each other, what typically happens in that exchange? <clears throat> it's, it's a progression, isn't it? In the beginning, there'll be a lot of informational type knowledge that'll be passed between the two of you. In the very infant stages of your friendship, where are you from? What do you do? That's typically what happens. What do you do for work? What do you do? Um, do you like this? Do you like that? What are you into here? What are you into there? You know, a lot of information that, could, that, that could, you can get about that person without knowing them personally, right? You don't have to have a personal relationship yet. And that's just a start. But eventually, if the relationship's going to grow, you cross a line, Right? It hits a new gear at some point, or it doesn't, and the relationship goes nowhere. But if it's going to keep going and growing, it crosses a line. If you really want to get to know someone, you've got at some point to get personal. At some point, you're going to need to be vulnerable. In stages, perhaps, maybe progressively, but at some point, you're going to have to disclose something of who you really are. Your fears, your passions... Something raw. That's just a start. In other words, you begin to talk about issues that actually affect the way you live. You begin to talk about things that really do matter to you. Non-negotiable things that you're not going to back down. At first, maybe you start to read each other like, okay, what are some places that I can compromise? But at some point, you're going to hit bedrock and you're going to realize this is, a this is a point where this person's not going to move. This is them. And this is me. You begin to talk about things that really matter. What's really important to you? What has really hurt you in life? What's your story? What's really happened to you in life? What do you crave as a person? What are you living for? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you crave as a person? What's your story? And once you're willing to have that kind of personal disclosure, and if the other person has a level of personal disclosure towards you, and each of you responds with a level of commitment understanding, interest, well, then you can get up and say, we've become somewhat of friends. A friendship's beginning. A friendship's starting to go. You've moved from informational knowledge about somebody or acquaintance to a personal knowledge. Now, let's, let me flesh this out a little bit. You can have informational knowledge. You can have informational knowledge without personal knowledge, but you cannot have personal knowledge without informational knowledge. That makes sense? You can, have, you can have informational knowledge without personal knowledge, but you cannot have personal knowledge without informational knowledge. You can have informational knowledge in a sense, but it doesn't mean that you know them personally. Uh, for example, you can know a lot about a celebrity. Maybe you look up your favorite celebrity, or maybe you follow somebody extremely uh, closely, or you really just love this person's Life, And you can look up a lot. There's a lot of information about, say, I don't know, Chris Pratt online or, or whoever. It doesn't matter. You can look up a lot of information. You can know a person, but that doesn't mean you know the person. You can know where they're born. You can know many, how many siblings they have. Um, you can know how many times they were divorced. You can know how many children they have and with each spouse. You can know what films they starred in. You can know that they went to rehab. You can know even something of their of their hardships in life, those types of things. But can you say you know them? No. 
No, you can learn a tremendous, a lot, a, a tremendous amount about somebody and still not really know them. And in this passage, Jesus is not just saying that this is possible, but he's saying that this is normal for people to be around him, being busy in Christian activity. This is, Philip is the norm. Philip was very knowledgeable about him, and yet, he, you, can, you can still get it all secondhand. You can know about God without knowing him, but you can't personally know him without knowing about him. That make sense? You can know about God without knowing him, but you can't personally know, know him without knowing something about him. Let me put it this way. Let me flip it around. Let me turn it to this angle. You can know the Bible without knowing God. You can know the Bible really well and not know God, but you cannot know God unless you know something of the Bible. Um, Jesus put it this way in John chapter 17. Ready? If If it can't get more basic than this, he said, this is eternal life. This is it. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. To read your Bible, go to church, and serve your community. Mm -mm. Those things might flow out of knowing God, but this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is not saying that the point of life is knowing God, but that the definition of life, the definition of the Greek word is zoe, it means an equality, abundance kind of life. It means not just existing, it means really living. The definition of really living is knowing God. It's what you're built for. It's what you're designed for. Jeremiah chapter nine, you ready for this one? He says, this is Jeremiah, he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Because it's not what you were made for. It's not what you were really made for. Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Power, being on top, being stronger than somebody else. Don't boast in that. It's not what you were made for. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. It's not what you were really made for. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That, that he knows me. Think of how radical this is. Jeremiah is saying, imagine being the brightest person in the world so that every university and every government wanted to work with you. Wanted your expertise. Wanted to know who you, you are in high demand because of what you know. Or imagine if you were the greatest athlete in the world and you were like a national treasure because you're just such an amazing athlete. Or imagine being the richest person in the world. What kind of life would you have in a situation like that? Most of us think fulfilling, happy. What kind of life would you have? If you're honest in this quietness of your own heart, we think that's the way to go. That's the way to live. What kind of fulfillment would you experience? What kind of fulfillment? And yet God is saying through Jeremiah, that's nothing compared to the thrill and satisfaction of knowing me. That's nothing compared to knowing me. And that's the claim of the entire Bible. That is Christianity in its simplest form. Simple yet extremely profound and a lot of major implications. The Bible dares anyone to disprove this claim. (laughs) try it the bible would say try riches try strength try wisdom try all those things try it the satisfaction of knowing god is far greater than the satisfaction of being the wisest the strongest or the richest person in the world and we have this documented at this point no one has ever disproved it and those who've tried their hand at both have come away saying it's true knowing god is better ask the average christian today coming out of church in Seattle, why Jesus came. Ask him, why did Jesus come? I, I've actually done this and I wrote down what they said. <laughs> so you, here's what I've heard. He came to redeem the world by dying for our sins. Jesus would say that's true, but you're missing the point. You've still missed it. 
Ask the average Christian what it means to be a Christian, and they will tell you a Christian is someone who believes in God, believes certain doctrines and beliefs about the Bible. A Christian is someone who goes to church and worships God. A Christian is someone who tries to live on a higher plane, morally. We try to live better. A Christian is someone on mission, bringing the gospel to the sick. These are all direct quotes of people that I've talked to. A Christian is someone who tries to love God. And Jesus would say, Philip, have you been with me all this time and you've still missed it? You've missed it. I did come. I am going to die. I am going to raise, raise from the dead. I, I am going to pass through the heavens. And I am seated at the right hand of the Father that you might know him. That's the point. That you might know him. All of those other things are a means to that end. When someone says, are you a Christian? It means, do you know Jesus? Do you know God? Know him. Married people understand this. Because just because you're married to someone, unfortunately, does not mean you know them. How many people have I heard have said, I don't even know that person. We're just roommates. We're, all, we're always together, and yet I'm so lonely. To know someone is to know their essence. So that's the reason we say that knowing God is the most central thing. I just want to get really simple. Knowing God is what makes you a Christian. If you don't know God, you're not a Christian. It, it's that, we can give that basic of a rubric. If you know about him but do not know him at all, you're not a Christian. So ironically, the central point, this is point number two, is also the central problem. Ironically, this is also the problem. Let me explain. Um, A lot of people in this room, well, all of us, are wrestling with deep problems, but a lot of us are wrestling with Christianity because of the fact that Christianity is so personal. We might say it's because of other things, and a lot of people will say it's because of other things. They'll say Christianity is too exclusive, for example. That there's only one God and one way, I just can't handle that. I don't like it because it's so demanding. I have to change my life, and I have to go to church, and I have to change my schedule, and I've got to this and that and this and that. I've got to give money, and I've got to, you know, whatever it might be. But the real problem that most folks have with Christianity when you dig a little bit is that it's actually too vulnerable and too personal. This is a problem that we have because the the basic teaching, the essence of Christianity is number one priority is a personal knowing. Because of this, this sets up the priority of order. And that just bothers us, especially when it comes to the Bible. Here's what bothers people and honestly what bothers me. And what really bothered me when I was a young Christian, or maybe even before I was a Christian, about the Bible. In a sense, here's what bothers me. The New Testament will not even speak to you about anything else. In a sense, it won't even talk to you about anything else until you've answered the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that is so maddening. I mean, think of any blog that you've been on that have discussed Christianity and they give out problems, and they, they treat the Bible like a manual, and in there should be a black and white answer to this problem. And some Christians try to fight that way. Well, the Bible says this, send. But it doesn't resonate. Why? Well, because the Bible, that's not the Bible's priority. In a sense, the Bible will not even speak to you about anything else. In other words, it won't start to make sense until first you come, you come to a confrontation with an actual person because that's the Bible's priority. The New Testament will not talk to you about how you should be living your life. Not primarily it won't. Not at first it won't. It will not talk to you about your your intellectual or philosophical questions. Not at first it won't. It's got those things in there. But it will always push Jesus first to you and Boy, is that maddening. It really is. It won't even talk to you about uh, about how you get your personal needs met. Oh, that is frustrating. People that come to Christianity thinking, oh, this will give me, this will make me better. This This is how I can get my spiritual needs met. 
My personally, people are frustrated with that. And it's super stubborn. It's really stubborn about those kinds of things. It won't talk to you about any of those things until, it will, but not until you answer the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? First things first, the Bible would say. It's almost like a person is saying, ah, first things first. What do you do with Jesus? Who do you think he is? And that just drives us nuts. Gosh, it bothers us. Why? Well, because we have questions. Lots of them. We really do. We have philosophical issues that we really do need answers to. We have personal needs. We have intellectual problems, all of those things. We have psychological issues. Questions like, well, I, you know, I'd love to be a Christian and it really does appeal to me, but the, there's one question holding me back. Why does God allow so much evil in the world? Have you heard that one? It's a big one, right? I'd love to be a Christian, but there's this one thing. How come, why, why would he let this madman in Russia invade Ukraine? Why all these people, that, why all these types of things? Why did this happen to me in my life if God loves me? Why did this happen to them or him or her? Or what about the people who never heard about Jesus? What about the, you know, the lost tribes of Africa or whatever? What about them? What's gonna happen to them? How do I get rid of this habit that's destroying my life? Why can't, why can't it fix my marriage first? What do I have to change to accept Jesus? Do I have to give up drinking? Do I have to give up this? What, what, do I really, do I have to become straight? Do I have to change my politics? Is it gonna make me more liberal? Is it gonna make me more conservative? How am I supposed to turn the other cheek? That just doesn't make, even make sense to me. And the New Testament frustratingly, if you read it for the rhythm that it is, if you notice it, it will just frustrate you because you won't find a black and white, like it's a manual that if you turn to section 2C, you'll find it. That's not how it works. The Bible will always push a person to you. The Bible will come back and say, do you accept what he said about himself? That he's the son of God, the high king of heaven? That's what, when you read the New Testament, that will be pushed in your face if you're, if you're reading it for what it is. And if you, do, if you do accept what he says about himself, have you been willing to move from informational knowledge to personal knowledge? Have you been willing to make him the central person in your life? That's, that's where the Bible's gonna start. Have you been willing to make a personal disclosure to God? Have you been willing to trust God completely? That's what the Bible talks about, doesn't it? Talks about faith, right? That's, I think a better translation for that word is trust. I really, I'd much rather translate it that way. I think it's truer to the Greek. Pistis, pisteo, trust. Can you trust God? That's a very relational word. Married people use that. I want to know I can trust you. Dating people, intimate relationships, parents. That's the, that's the stuff of relational stuff. Trust. Without trust, no relationship can survive. See, Christianity is just too personal. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus ran into this problem. He came to Jesus to have a discussion about religion with Jesus. Remember that? He came at night to have a discussion about religion and Jesus just cuts through and says, Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. Just wham, right to it, right to the heart of it. Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. And Nicodemus says, whoa, I just wanted to talk about religion. <laughs> I've got deep personal needs. What's Jesus gonna do about that? Well, if Christianity were a therapy first, we could, talk, we could go there first, but it's about a person first, and therefore we've got to keep first things first, and second things will come second. You see what I'm saying? I'm talking about priority here, and the way that we read the Bible, and the way the Bible reads us back. You will notice, when you're frustrated with the Bible, what are we talking about? Even, even there, when we're talking about being frustrated, what do we usually talk about? What do we usually talk about being frustrated with? People. In other words, your frustration is a sign that the Bible is interacting with you. It's pushing back on you, even by its lack of doing what you want it to do. That's why we get frustrated with people. It's a personal exercise. 
People come to me and say, well, this doesn't make sense and neither does this. And I say, well, of course it doesn't and it won't until you come to know Jesus. And there are some that say, well, that's really, you're at a bottleneck. And a lot of things you say about Jesus that are very attractive, there's a lot of things that we say about Jesus that are very attractive. There's a lot of things that we, that we want to talk about. But I have thought about it, and I've analyzed it, and I can't, you know, I just can't believe in the virgin birth, Mike. I just can't do it. Or I can't accept the authority of Scripture. I just, you know, I just can't believe in, come on, we live in a scientific, imperialistic age. Science is king. I just cannot believe in raising from the dead. I mean, how do you expect me to believe that? I love the things about Christianity that are about family, I love those things. I love about, you know, I love, you know, treat others the way I would want to be treated. Those things I'm just all on board with. I love that stuff. But I can't believe all this stuff about Jesus being the only way to God. I just can't believe in that. I've thought it through. I've studied it. I've reflected it. I'm just, I'm really stuck. And the problem is that you first studied and reflected on it because Christianity is not ultimately a philosophy. It has a philosophy, but it's not ultimately a philosophy. It's about a person. When John the Baptist had doubts about Jesus, you remember that? He was in prison. He had doubts about Jesus. You remember what he did? He personally sent messengers, and here's what he asked. He said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In other words, he took his doubts to a person. The Bible will never, ever shame you for having doubts or questions. Read Job. You never see in Job God saying, how dare you question me, Job. Read the Psalms. But the difference between Job and his friends was that Job and his friends talked about God And you can look in the rest of the Bible and you can verify what they're saying theologically. They knew a lot of great things about God, but Job took his doubts to God. Throughout the book, he's constantly talking to God. What are you doing? I don't understand you. Why would you do this to me? Help me believe in you. John the Baptist is doing the same. So the next question is, well, how can we go to Jesus personally? And the answer is that you gotta go to the Bible. And honestly, you gotta do some, if you're just starting out, you gotta do some rapid reading. In other words, don't sit down and analyze it. First, you can get to that later. But first priority, go to the Bible and read it fast enough so you can get a sense of who he is. That's what we've been doing through the first uh, half of Mark. We've been looking at Jesus' strength. We've been looking at his tenderness. We've been looking at his wisdom. We've been paying attention to his affect, his rhythm, his priorities. We've been trying to get used to him personally. You have to doubt your doubts enough to be able to go to him personally, and then you've got to actually personally say something to him. What would you say? Well, let me just read John the Baptist. Are you the one, or should I wait for someone else? What a great prayer. What could you say to God today? Instead of, are you thinking about God? Are you troubled about God? Or can you take your troubles to God? Can you doubt your doubts enough to come to him and say, okay, look, are you really there? Because I can't explain this part of my life. I can't explain, I can't reconcile the pain and the suffering that's going on right now with my belief in you. what's, What's happening right now? And that's a huge difference. See, one, one is rational and one is relational. And that's Christianity. We must go to him personally. Because unless you're willing to deal with him personally, you'll never know if your doubts are true. If he's a person, then you've got to go and talk to him about it. it, it this works with any relationship. If you hear something about me, you can either talk about Mike or you can just come to me and ask me, right? We, we give this kind of advice relationally to people. When someone comes up to you and gossips about somebody else to you, what's the right thing to say to them? What's the advice that we give them? What? Have you asked them yourself? 
Why? Because here's the wisdom behind that. Because we know it won't be solved out of the context of relationship. This is where we get in trouble. So there's a lot of things. I'll just tell you straight up. For those of you that don't know me as well as others, like Dave, Caldera, Nicole, for sure, you might hear something that I've said that out of context you might go, oh my gosh, Mike said that? And then you'll go to Dave and you'll say, did you hear that Mike said that? And Dave will immediately go, oh, yeah, here's what he meant. Why? Because he knows me. He spent time with me. He knows when I'm kidding. He knows when I'm being serious. He knows when I'm sarcastic. He knows when I'm, when I'm really believing something. How does he do that? By reading about me? No. He, Dave and I spend time together. See how it works? That's Christianity. So there's a lot of people that look at Jesus from the outside and they say, oh my gosh, did you hear what Jesus, did you hear, I can't, I can't handle this about Jesus. Oh, I can't handle, in fact, this even happened. There's a story somewhere, and I should have written it down, but there's a story where the high priest, they hear some crazy thing that Jesus said about being God. And so they, they have grounds and warrants to send the temple police to Jesus right there and arrest him. And so they do. They send the temple police to Jesus to arrest him, and then the temple police come back without Jesus. They're empty-handed. And the priests say, hey, I thought, I thought you went to go arrest Jesus. And these temple police said, no one's ever talked like him before. What happened? They heard him. They had personal contact with him. And all of a sudden, ah, okay. Some things that Dave might hear about me he might go, oh, wow, I don't know what he meant by that, but I know he couldn't have meant this. That's what it's like with Jesus. I, know, I don't know what he means. Some things you're going to run into in the Bible, and people will bring things to you, and you'll say, I don't know what that means, but I know what it can't mean because I know Jesus. I think of the story of when he told that woman, that Gentile woman, she asked him to heal her daughter. Do you remember that? And he said, I've come, to the, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel, not the dogs of the Gentiles. <whistles> Jesus throws some heat. Calls her a dog. And there's, I mean, commentators have tried to defang that as much as they've tried to say, well, it's the, it's the Greek word for a little puppy, a household time. They've tried so many ways to like, because, you know, that makes us, you know, we don't like that. It's super awkward. I don't know. I don't have a good explanation for that, but I know what it can't be. You know the, the, you know the number one word to describe Jesus in the Bible? His character in the Bible? Number one, if you just count them up. Anybody know? Compassion. That's number one. He displays anger. He displays grief. He, descri- he displays a righteous jealousy. But nothing tops compassion. So when I see a verse like that, I can go, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing there. That, is, that makes my skin crawl. But you know what? I know you're compassionate. I know you. I know you. And I felt your compassion in my own life. You see what I'm saying? Christianity does not work outside of a relationship. There is philosophy. It is coherent. It is a coherent Religion, you can apologetically argue it. All of those things are fine, but it won't work the way it was intended to outside of a personal relationship. Okay. Second, the second problem is that the the absolute and exclusive claims of Jesus Christ that people hate so much but, they are, but they're there because Christianity is so personal. They really hate the fact that Jesus is making these claims because they mean that there, there can be no halfway point. That's another really uncomfortable moment. Look, look, at, look at our verse. I am, here it is. This really makes people like us super uncomfortable. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What does that say immediately? I have to be number one. There's no way around it. 
So we have two really, really basic and strong things. Christianity is about knowing God, and he's got to be number one. For example, well, and a lot of people hate that. For example, when people say, why should he be the only truth? Why should he be the only life? But don't you see it? It's because he's a person. That's the point. It's because he's a person. Anyone here who's begun to be in any personal relationship, you've begun to lose control of your life. Do you understand that that's how relationships work? Any kind of relationship that you're in, to the degree that you grow in that relationship, you begin to lose a level of control. That's why some people say, I don't want to get married because I don't want to lose my independence. Because Well, they get it. They get it. I don't want to lose control of my life. If you don't want to lose control of your life, you're going to need to avoid a whole lot other relationships besides marriage. Because it's not just marriage. The minute you get into any friendship, you begin to lose control of your life a little bit more. That's what, this and this point is completely lost on an individualistic society like ours. We like to maintain the fantasy that we can be friends and not be accountable. That we can be friends and have nothing to do. And we've, become, we've gone into a practice of not having the beauty of holding each other accountable anymore. The minute you get into a friendship, the reality is you begin to lose control. Suppose you're in a friendship here and you think that this person's a very good friend. Okay? One day that person, let's, let's say you start growing in a relationship with that person. You become really close friends with that person. And all of a sudden, the friend calls you up out of the blue. Right when things are starting to get good, you're spending a lot of time. And they say, you know what? By the way, I've decided I really should leave Seattle. I got another job somewhere else. I'm leaving tomorrow. You may not say it out loud, but if you're human, you're deeply disappointed. You can't help but think, geez, if we, were really, if we were such good friends, why didn't they feel like they could tell me? Why didn't they mention it? Why didn't they even mention that they were at least thinking of it? Maybe we weren't as good friends as I thought. Those are the kinds of thoughts and feelings that start going on in your mind. Or when you, when you when, when, here's the classic, when, you, when someone says, hey, you want to hang out, and someone says no, and you only find out that they're hanging out with someone else later. What's happening right there in your, in your human heart? This is very human. You're not abnormal. This is very normal things. You're thinking, shoot, I thought we were a little closer than that. Why couldn't they at least have just told me, hey, I'm hanging out with somebody else? All of these things go into our mind. Why don't they want to hang out with me? And on and on it goes. You intrinsically know that the more deep a relationship is, the less that person has the right to act independently. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. If you don't want your heart to be broken, give it to nobody. That's C.S. Lewis's advice. If you don't want your heart to be broken, give it to nobody. But he goes on, he says, but then it will not be broken, but become unbreakable, unpenetrable, and irredeemable. That is the problem we have with relationships. I need it, but I'm scared of it. I need to be in, I was built to be in community. I was built to be in society. Mankind, you can read it in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Mankind was, mankind was built to be centered and oriented on God and built to be centered and oriented on, another, on other people. Two things of what it means to be the Imago Dei. There's actually three, but the relational two things of what it means to be human, Imago Dei, made in the image of God according to Christianity. One is to be centered on God. This is what it means for you to function as a human, to be centered on God and moving toward God, and to be centered on others and moving toward others. That's what humanity looks like according to the Bible. And that encapsulates Jesus' ministry. He's the ultimate image of God. Ultimate. And his ministry is, is, his life is defined by love. Love for God and love for others. Remember what he said? What's the greatest commandment? In other words, 
What's the essence of what it means to be human? And he said, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then he, he offers another one. The other one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be human. Gosh, that's risky business. So what Lewis is saying is that if, if you avoid personal knowing in order to keep control of your life and keep you safe, you're going to lose control of your life anyway. See, if you try to keep control of your life at the expense of personal knowing, you're going to lose your very selfhood. So since you know that intrinsically about personal relationships, since there's no way of getting into a personal relationship without some degree of loss of control in your life, does it really surprise us that the ultimate relationship with the greatest person in the universe, Jesus Christ, would bring or even would bring an even greater demand. Is there any, does it, of course, when you read it that way, now read this verse again and it'll make sense. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the context of a relationship, he's saying, I demand, if you're gonna be with me, I demand everything. You're gonna lose absolute control of your life to be with me because I am the ultimate relationship. So let's work this backwards and see what it means. He says, I am the life. That means that he has to be the reason you live. The bar is super high, guys. He says, I'm not, I'm not a help. I'm not a help for your academics. I'm the reason for your academics. I'm not a help for your life or an addition to your life. I am the reason for your life. I've got to be the very reason that you get up in the morning. I've got to be the reason for your, for your life. Secondly, he says, I've got to be the truth. That means, Jesus would say, my teaching and what I say has to have precedent over your feelings over what you think is practical, over your personal opinions, and over the opinions of your friends, over the opinions of experts. I'm the truth. That's what it means to be a Christian. His truth, his gospel takes precedent over the culture, over what your friends say, over anything else. We bow to Jesus as the truth. And we say, this is where we get uncomfortable. We say, oh, it's so absolute. It's because he's a person. He's the person. There's no in between. It's personal. But then he says, I'm the way. And ooh, this really gets us in our culture. We say, well, what about those good Buddhists that live better lives than Christians? What about the good person who, does, who doesn't have an organized religion? How can Jesus say, I'm the way to the Father? But that's the way it is with people. And Jesus is a person. That's the way it is. This is more normal than you think. Do you see where I'm going with this? Don't you see? You cannot find your way into a person anywhere you, any way you choose. You know what I'm saying? You can't get into a person's life unless they let you in from the inside. This is how all relationships work, you guys. This is not rocket science. It's how it all works. You can come to somebody and you can say, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to get to know you. And they say, okay, well, not here over coffee. But over coffee. What's going to happen if you say, no, right here, right now? We will get to know each other now, here. In other words, you're going to barge your way in there. They're, they're going to shut down to you. And rightfully so, right? Say an athlete meets a girl, wants to get to know her, thinks she's hot, possibly date her. And she says, well, athletics don't really do it for me. I don't really know the difference between, you know, a first down and a hole-in-one. But what really gets me going is disgusting literature. So what does he do? He's got a choice at this point. Does he say, I'm going to win her heart through my athletic prowess? Here's a book about athleticism. Get reading, girl. No, the only way he's going to get into a relationship is if he comes in on her terms. Listen, with persons, you can't say, I'm going to get into your heart any way I please. I'm going to barge my way in. That's not how it works. Hearts only open from the inside. Every married person knows that this is true. 
Hearts only open from the inside through what? Trust, compromise, safety, bending to someone else's needs, putting your own self aside to to give to somebody else. Relationships only open from the inside. It comes to you. Here's the way in. When a woman says to a guy, here's the way in. You want to get to know me? You want to have a good relationship with me? Well, here's how. And the guy says, I'm sorry, but I want to come in another way. At some point, there might be some compromise here and there, but at some way, point, someone's going to say, sorry, this is the only way in. I'm not, this, is a, this is now a game changer. Why would she say that? Because she's a person. He's a person. She would say, I'm a person. I'm not a mathematical theorem. I'm not a, a, a mystical force. I'm a person. And the same is with Jesus Christ. He's saying, I am the way to the Father. There's no other way in but through him, but through me. Does that seem exclusive? Does that seem exclusive? You can say to your the people that, bo- that are bothered by that, well, that's the way of every human being. Every human being is exclusive. You get to choose who's your friends and who's not. You get to choose who opens up to them. It's about being human. If someone comes to you and says, I'm going to get in however I choose, you would say, I'm sorry, but this is the way in. Jesus says the same thing. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Do you know him? Do you know God? Do you know him? See, Jesus is so personal. Do you know him? Is he real to you? Is there a personal dealing between you and him? People say, well, now you're getting too personal. And Jesus would say, exactly. That's what Christianity is. It's very personal. Okay, last thing. And it's brief. The glory of this. Asking that question by now. How do I know that I really know him? We're talking about the importance of knowing him, not just knowing about him. How do you know if you really know him? Here's the brief answer of the text. I mean, Jesus says this. It's, it's seeing. Knowing is seeing. When Philip says, Jesus, what's he say? Show us the Father and everything will be all right. Show us the Father. He uses a specific Greek word. This is, this is the Greek I was telling you about. Philip uses a specific Greek word. That literally means give us an appearance. That's what it means. Give us an appearance. Give us a vision. Show us the Father, a miracle, a vision. And a lot of us think that that would be just fine. But Jesus knows that many people saw him face to face. Thousands of people saw him face to face. And in Acts chapter 1, he's about to ascend to heaven. There's 120 believers there. Jesus knows that that's not what we need. And Jesus responds to Philip with another word, with a different word. He says, Philip, if you've seen me, seen, you've seen the Father. He actually uses this Greek word. It's extremely important. There's two words in Greek for see. There's the word blepo, which is the word that means to see something with the retina, see something with the eye. Just to see something, it's a factual word, to observe, to see something factually, that it's there, that it is. Um, but Jesus uses the word hierakos, which means to understand and experience. To understand and experience. We have to use the word see in both ways, in other words. We say, I see you with my eyes, but we also say, oh, I see I get it. That's what we mean. We we do the same thing. Right? Oh, I see. In other words, I understand. I get it. For some, uh, for example, some of you understand abuse intellectually. You know what it is. You know what a definition of it is. But some of you here understand it. You know what I'm saying? You really get it because you were there. It has sunken down deep into your heart. It affects you personally. And that's what the word here that Jesus is using means. Let me tell you what it means to know God. I've preached for so long. And there's always someone, you know, every sermon I talk about the cross. It's, if you've noticed, it's, it's, like, it's like the pattern of what I'm going to do. At some point, you'll be here long enough, you'll know. At some point, the cross is going to come into this. 
That's what's going to happen. And for the, and for the first time, um, there's sometimes, after years and years of someone listening, inevitably, someone comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, it just clicked for me today I, when you said that thing about the cross. And typically, in my mind, when they're talking to me, I, I'm smiling and nodding. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I've been talking about the cross every week for the past four years. And I'm pretty sure that I've used that same material over and over and over again. But what's happening They're seeing it for the first time. They're getting it for the first time. In other words, it moved from an intellectual seeing and observing to a, oh, I see it. What's so personal about the cross? He did it to know you. Do you know that? Um, This is why I'm here and why I'm a Christian when I was a kid and I heard the gospel when I was 10 or and moving on through my teenage years, it wasn't the coherent message of the cross that won me over. It wasn't that I just understood it and that it made sense to me that it won me over. It was when the pronouns changed. Jesus died for the world changed into Jesus died for me. And Everything changed at that moment. That's what saved me. It was deeply personal. I sensed, I'll never forget it. I was there, I was listening to a sermon. And all of a sudden, it was as if the room disappeared. The preacher didn't matter. It it didn't matter what he was saying. I felt, and I remember, I felt the hair on my arms go up. And I had like this time standstill moment where I knew someone was looking at me. And I mean like really looking at me. I was completely exposed. And he saw everything about me. He knew me to the bottom. And yet he loved me to the sky. I'll I'll never forget that moment. Everything changed at that moment. Nothing, there was, my, there was Mike Monje before that moment and then there was Mike after that moment. Because I encountered not a doctrine, I encountered not an experience or a program, I was encountering a person. A person whose eyes burnt like fire, who could see right through me, he could see every personal sin in my life and yet he still wanted me. He loved me. That's why I'm here. You guys are great. I love you people. But I don't know if I would get out of bed on a Sunday morning. An hour early. An hour early (laughs) on a Sunday morning. If it wasn't for a love for a person named Jesus. And that's what brings us together. In relationship together. We come, what, come, what brings us here in this room is not that we all live in Seattle. A lot of us, some of us don't. It's not that we all make the same amount of money. It's all over the spectrum. It's not that we have the same kind of education. All over the spectrum. A lot of things about you all are different. A lot of you have different politics, different philosophies, different beliefs. But one thing that we have in common if you're a Christian is that you know Jesus And he saved you. And you talk to him. And you know him. You know him. Not just about him. You know him. You spend time with him. You talk to him. And when when time goes by that you stop talking to him, like any friend, you miss him. You ever spend time with friends and then the time goes by where you don't and you're like, man, I'm kind of getting withdrawals from that person. That's what it is for a Christian. Life gets busy. We get in the grind. We start going. And after a while, our heart begins to ache. And we go, okay, Jesus, i got to stop. I've got I've to just go on a walk with you. I've just got to be with you. I miss you so much. I want you back. The way you can tell that you know God is it affects you in three ways. Intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. It's got to be all three. Here's someone who has real intellectual faith. She can talk all the time about philosophical issues, but there's no change happening in the way she actually behaves. 
There's no character growth. Here's someone with emotional faith. Look at the tears. Look at him raise his hands to God. Look at all the emotion and the passion. But there's not really much going on intellectually or volitionally. They don't really know what they're doing. And here's a person that has volitional faith, someone that shows up to church. I have a will. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to feed the poor, and I'm going to do this and do that and do this. But there's no passion. There's no emotion. There's no, and they don't know why. There's no, they can't, they can't tell you why not to do this. They just know you shouldn't. You see, we all need the information until it all sinks down and begins to affect us in three ways, intellectually, volitionally, emotionally, your whole person is firing. A, a relationship affects the whole, your whole person, right? You know that. Anybody had a best friend growing up and your parents start saying, you sound just like your friend, <laughs> right? You spend like three nights over at their house, like, oh, now you sound like him. Well, it's because you spend a lot of time with them and you begin to change you begin to see the world different. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to know him. You can't get that in a book. Let me ask you, do you know him? Are you knowing him? Are you growing in the knowledge of Christ? Do you miss him? Do you long for him? Do you wish that you missed him? Is it bothering you that you don't miss him as much as you think you, you ought to? That's your spirit crying out for a person, not a belief, not a book, not a doctrine. You're crying out for a relationship. And it's found at the cross. 